Canada trains our guys, our soldiers, our warriors. Canada gives weapons to Ukraine to move forward, to push back Russia. And I thank you for this. Thank you all. Vladimir Zelensky Friday night in Toronto. One guy who was in the room where it happened was Scott Reed, who's here on the morning brief. Nice to have you, sir. Morning, sir. That has to be, I don't know necessarily it's a bucket list item because who knew it was coming, but that is an extraordinary experience, I have to imagine. It was, yeah, it was great. I can't pretend it was, you know, tremendously exclusive or anything. There were well over a thousand people in the room and a big crowd, mostly, you know, as you would expect, Ukrainian Canadians and um, had a lovely choir of Ukrainian school children uh, who sang uh, both national anthems and sang the Ukrainian national anthem uh, in Ukraine. Uh, So that was, that was lovely. But I, you know, I, I took my two younger sons and my 10 year old was really pumped and, um, you know, and he, Hopped in there and he got Zelensky and the prime minister to sign both these Ukrainian and Canadian flags. So <clears throat> it was great fun. And, you know, I said to the boys, you know, my 14 year olds like, oh, I don't want to go to a political rally. And I'm like, well, but, you know, this is this is the Eastern European. This is the 21st century Churchill. And you will remember this the rest of your life because this guy is and will stand for time, I think, as a hero. Meanwhile, uh, his visit kind of blighted by this ridiculous affair where the common speaker invited a 98-year-old World War II veteran, ignoring the fact that he fought for the Nazis. Well, it's it, it's an appalling mistake. Like, it's just, it, it, it is appalling. It is embarrassing. It's, it's awful. Um, you know, I think the questions that flow out of it are all related to, well, how could this have happened? And, you know, the thing that I would really, really underline for people, um, you know, as they watch this is that on parliament Hill, the speaker rules the roost. He is uh, the caretaker, the curator, the operations manager, anything in the parliamentary precinct, the speaker is responsible for. So when you see the abject uh, apology from the speaker, and when you know that the speaker himself invited this individual because they're from his riding, um, and people go, well, no, 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 the prime minister's office had to vet. That's actually not how it works. Um, And so, you know, an old man from North Bay, uh, the the speaker himself on Parliament Hill in the Commons on the parliamentary precinct, like that happened because the speaker said go. Now, what the consequences of that are going to be, I don't know. Anthony Rode is a lovely guy. I've known him 20 years. I believe 1 million percent. This is just an appalling, awful, honest mistake. Um, But it is appalling. Um, And so for all those politicians are out there, I see Pierre Polyev saying, you know, the prime minister needs to come clean on this. That's just Bush politics. Pierre Polyev knows better. He knows how this happened and he knows what didn't happen. Although I have to think, you know, the the Christia Freelands and other people in the House who may know their history, in particular Ukrainian history, had to be thinking, okay, I'm standing and clapping, but let's see, he fought for the Ukrainians against the Russians. That means he fought against the Allies. This is not a good thing. Yeah, I I guess. But I mean, you're in the middle of uh, an event where a bunch of people are being introduced. The guy's 98 years old. It's not like he's a figure of historical significance. So, you know, you would never imagine that 
you know somebody would have presented who was been presented who was a nazi i mean look it's it's appalling it should never have occurred um and it may be that there have to be severe consequences but all, all i'm saying is you know the idea that oh my god this was obviously there was a, a failure in vetting and the prime minister's office is heavily involved in the national security establishment this guy's a 98 year old man from north bay he wasn't being vetted as though he was a security risk uh mpps go back to queen's park today i would imagine question period will be exciting. And how long do you think the opposition is going to continue to do victory laps and then maybe get down to some other business? Oh, I don't I don't think those are the only choices. You make it sound like you're being dismissive of the Greenbelt thing. And I think that, you know, uh, they're going to keep pounding away on it. So I think there's two aspects of the story. You know, there's kind of going backward and there's going forward. The going backward aspect is all the hanging threads that remain from the, you know, the, the Greenbelt decision and who did make money and what processes occurred and all that kind of stuff. I think that will happen. I think that's less fertile. Um, where I, what I do think is fertile, pun fully intended, is going forward is looking at, well, where else did this culture of, you know what, just say yes. And don't give me a bunch of blather about details and process and oversight and protections. Just say yes, get it done, cut the corners, move quickly. Where else did that show up? And we read yesterday's Toronto Star, you know what the right answer is. And that's dozens, maybe hundreds of MZOs, ministerial zoning orders where the provincial government says we're overruling local municipalities and you can build in that spot. And there were people trying to make money off of that process. And how many of them were connected to the government? I think that's the big honeypot that uh, the opposition will go to next, the media will go to next. And my guess is it's going to be a lot of uncomfortable snakes underneath those rocks for the uh, provincial government. Uh, meanwhile, interesting uh, think piece about Young Dundas Square points out that it's a fairly joyless place that nobody actually ever gathers in. Uh, we just cross through it. So is it time we did something about that? Yeah. And, you know, I lack the creativity uh, and the downtown urban panache to figure out what you would do. But I just asked myself the question, you know, I, I live in the city, uh, I have kids. Do I ever take them down to Dundas Square? The answer is absolutely not. Do I generally sort of steer around it and avoid it? Yeah, because it's it's kind of borderline seedy, actually, right? And so, um, I don't know. You look back 25, 30, 40 years ago, what do they do at Times Square? Turn it around. It's not like it's a church now, but, you know, in the New York City, uh, that area has been cleaned up a lot. Are the things you can do to make it a destination, make it interesting, other than just big screens in an open area? Um, you know, I think smarter people than me will come up with answers. But, you know, post-COVID, uh, trying to get people south of Blur, unless they got to be, it's not easy. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. Uh, people just, people used to gravitate to the downtown and especially to the Eaton Center. But you're right. It, I have to have like an appointment or something I can only buy in brick and mortar before I'm going to head downtown. I, I like I sound like the oldest, whitest, fifty-ishest person in the city, but literally I don't wanna go south of Blur unless I'm forced to. Most of that is traffic and inconvenience. Most of it is that it's so difficult to move around. Most of it is, I, you know, you now are a little more reluctant and hesitant around TTC. And I'm sorry if somebody from the TTC is listening. I know they hated that when we promulgate the uh, anxieties about taking, um, you know, uh, public ridership, but like, 
you know, you put it all together and, you know, the downtown core does have a little bit of a challenge. And uh, some good news this morning, the Ford workers have ratified their deal. So look at that. No strike, a three-year deal. They seem to be very happy, although it was only 54%. And uh, Bob's your uncle. Keep your eye on Stellantis, uh, you know, because this deal gets used. What they do is they 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 find a dance partner and they say, okay, you Ford or you General Motors, you're going to be the example. They have these negotiations, and that deal gets used as a template for others. Um, I think GM will quickly follow this deal. I think Stellantis will be more interesting to watch. Remember how they tried to play hardball with the federal and provincial governments uh, with respect to EV plant construction. Um, it'll just be interesting if they fall in line right away and take the labor piece over they decide maybe they'll try and chisel the deal a little bit. But all things being equal, this is great because we get labor peace. We don't have a big strike. And, you know, it does mean that those workers are protected, not just a little bit of higher wages and, you know, more in their pocket, but they put in specific protections that allow them to help make this massive transition to EV plants and EV construction of cars. So um, hopefully it's all good news. Thank you, sir. Good to have you. Have a great day, John. Scott Reed, political analyst, former advisor to Prime Minister Paul Martin. And it is interesting when you consider we were writing obits for the auto industry in Ontario 10 years ago. And look how it has bounced back.